knees won't hurt. WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. Sean Rodriguez went 0 for 3 yesterday. He made that damaging error in the first inning, and then he went 0 for 3. I have a tested IQ of 166. Sean Rodriguez is now hitting 167. I wonder, what will be higher at the end of the season? My IQ or Sean Rodriguez's batting average? I bet it's a tight race. The current score is 167 to 166, so let the games begin. I get all kinds of tweets with these hidden stats, some of which I've never heard of, citing how valuable Sean Rodriguez is to the Pirates. And of course, we hear about his versatility. He's a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, he's a Swiss Army knife, all right. And every single blade is broken or dull. Here's a stat that's not so hidden. In 94 at-bats, Sean Rodriguez has struck out 35 times. That's well over a third of his at-bats. Sean Rodriguez can't even put the ball in play. And worse yet, when he does, he can't hit it to himself. Sick again brought to you by 84 Lumber, showing you the right way to build since 1956. Think about it. Rodriguez played all four infield positions over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He made an error at third, an error at short, and both those errors really bit the Pirates in the ass. When he was at second, he booted a double play grinder, still got the force, so wasn't charged with an error. And that didn't hurt the Pirates, but it could have. Here's a guy who once started a playoff game. 2015 against the Cubs because of his defense at first base because Hurdle, who is soft and a coward as a manager, figured, oh, we can't hit Arietta. Let's try to play great defense and win one nothing. And then, well, before you know it, Schwarber hit the ball into a boat and Rodriguez made an error at first and he got pulled from the game before ever batting. And then he beat up the water cooler. I mean, there's just no reason to play the guy. And if you're going to put him on the roster because you owe him 5.75 mil, then barely use him. Make him the 25th guy in terms of usage. He's starting over a third of the games, despite hitting 167. Anyway, yesterday, I'm on Twitter. And David Todd, who used to work in radio, nice guy, kind of knows baseball, but uh, bends over backwards to defend the Pirates, like so many do. And I'm blasting Sean Rodriguez. And David starts saying how useful he is. Then David points out that Neil Walker has started 63% of the games for the New York Yankees, and he's having a worse season than Rodriguez. First off, Rodriguez and Walker both have lousy slash lines, but Walker's is marginally better, and at least Walker's hitting over 200. But mostly, and mainly, what the frig does how much Neil Walker plays for the Yankees have to do with anything? It's not 
at all relevant. Not even a little bit relevant. Uh, listen, when the Pirates have a lineup like the New York Yankees, then they can play Sean Rodriguez 100% of the time. But they don't have Giancarlo Stanton. The Pirates have Gregory Polanco. Although the Pirates' offense is not bad, yesterday's near-no-hitter duly noted. But that's what Pirate Stooges do. They come way out of left field with something that just doesn't apply in attempts to obscure that Sean Rodriguez sucks and should never play. Somebody tweeted a stat. I literally never heard of ever to back Rodriguez. And I'm like, okay, how is he when a ground ball gets hit to him for a double play? I mean, all these crazy hidden stats, the metrics. Here's what I saw yesterday. I saw Sean Rodriguez kick an easy double play grounder that gave the Cardinals two runs, four total, when they should have only scored two. And then I saw him go 0 for 3. So, you know, find me all these hidden stats you want. Yesterday I saw him do more than anyone on the Pirates to lose a ball game when he shouldn't have been starting in the first place. The guy stinks. And if you know him, find him and tell him that I said that he stinks and is an embarrassment to his profession. And I don't want to hear about the car wreck. Oh, poor Sean, he was in a car wreck last year. Then quit. Quit. If you can't play, quit. Quit and take your money. You're owed it no matter what. So quit. Tell you what, you pay me $11.5 million over two years, I'll go out and wreck my car right now. I'll make that deal. Damn good deal. 412-333-9939 is the number to call up. I don't know if you've done this yet, but, but go to the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com and check out uh, my blog on Bruce Keeson who pitched for the Pirates uh, championship teams in 71 and 79. And as a rookie in 1971, he came in in relief in game four of the 1971 World Series, a game I was at. And uh, with the Pirates trailing 3-0 before they ever came to bat, Keeson pitched six and a third scoreless, allowed one hit, and he plunked three Orioles. And the one thing you got to see to believe, Frank Robinson, one of the best players ever, right? Hall of Famer, MVP in both the National and American Leagues. Keeson drills him right in the nuts with the pitch. And I don't mean like a glancing blow. I mean square in the nuts. And Robinson was mad, but he couldn't be too mad because he just got hit in the nuts with the baseball. Check that out on the Mark Madden page at WXDX. Dot com. Uh, can't wait for game four tonight between Vegas and uh, Washington. It really does feel like Washington is in control of the series. First time. First time all series. Maybe first time all playoffs where I really thought, you know what? The Capitals might win the Stanley Cup. And Flurry's not playing bad, but Holtby's not playing Flurry. No question. And, and I don't want this to come off like I'm going after Mark or criticizing him. But all the people who said, well, Flurry beat the Capitals last year. Should have kept Flurry. Well, what if he doesn't beat the Capitals this year? 
And what if he loses the Stanley Cup final after Matt Murray has won the previous two Stanley Cup finals? Because if Flurry doesn't win this series against this particular opponent, a lot of the arguments you've been putting out there have been flushed right down the old Bemis. Again, not hating on Mark. Just throwing that out there. Let's go to Tom and Sarver. Tom, you're on with the super genius. How you doing today? Terrific. Hey, I just wanted to actually call and thank you for the uh, the Sean Rodriguez article, uh, article in the paper, and discussing the Sean Rodriguez ridiculous amount of playing time he gets. I've been telling people that for two years, and to anybody that would listen, this is a ridiculously horrible ball player, and I swear he's got some pictures of, of Hurdle in a compromising position or something. I heard something about a goat, but, uh, well, I, I've learned not to believe those rumors. But uh, Sean Rodriguez is living off fumes of his old reputation. And believe it or not, people like him because he beat up the water cooler. I mean, he, he he blew a game yesterday and went over three yesterday, and he strikes out more than a third of the time. But everybody's like, remember when he beat up the water cooler? Hey, let's have a bobblehead night. That That's one thing that's happened with, with the Pirates. As a team and their individual players, too, they get treated with kid gloves. No one around here, whether it's media and fans, nobody will say anybody stinks. Meanwhile, the Steelers and Penguins, who win all the time, we feel free to crucify them when they lose and castrate individual players when they don't perform. So let's tell it like it is. Clint Hurdle is a gutless manager who manages like a Little League coach who never wants to get an irate phone call from a parent. Gregory Polanco stinks. Sean Rodriguez stinks. Now, if you want to, and the whole bullpen stinks. Although, I, I kind of laugh. You know who's starting to get some heat is Felipe Vasquez because he's like the DJ in the locker room after they win, but he's blowing some saves lately. I don't know if blowing saves precludes you being the DJ in the locker room after wins. I, I mean, I don't feel like, you know, you're supposed to have fun. And I agree there's not a great look there when you blow a bunch of saves or when your team loses 12 out of 16. But, but while I do hate when people say, ah, it's fun, let them have fun. Because when you lose, you're not supposed to be having as much fun. But uh, I, I don't think that there's a connection there that is at all upsetting. Let's go to Brandon in the car. Brandon, you're on with Double M. What's up, Double M? Um, I don't know if you saw this. I just see in Vegas, uh, they're going to celebrate the Vegas Knights with a parade, even if they lose the cup this year. What do you think about that? Are you sure about that? I just I got Bleacher Report app updated my phone an hour ago. Yeah, that's stupid. I mean, I mean, I understand these are totally unique circumstances where an expansion team has reached the Stanley Cup final, but you do not have a parade for losing. Period. And then, Mark, they're only down two one. Why would they announce that right now? Well, because they are so new. Because they don't really know what they're doing. They they. They, they, you know, and, and I don't blame them for that. I mean, who would have thought they'd yeah. be where they're at in their first year? They were prepared for misery, mm-hmm. although I got to give credit. Again, in November, James Neal told me this was a playoff team that could win a round or two. And there's no there's no way uh, partying with James Neal is going to hang around after a Stanley Cup loss in Vegas and get 
I don't oh, know. I disagree. Going to melt down the road. Really? I think Vegas is James Neal's kind of town, win or lose. Is that true how they're going to have a parade, win or lose? Yikes. No, that's... Well, you know what? That that shows that a first-year organization doesn't quite get it. And I'm not even saying it's a terrible idea. It's just... Well, you know what? You know why I would say what I'm saying? Because I've been to five championship parades in Pittsburgh, or at least watched them on TV, and uh, second best ain't good enough. Not parade good, that's for sure. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. This is the Mark Madden Show. We got Steve Mears talking hockey at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime... Does anyone want to defend Sean Rodriguez playing so much? Does anyone want to defend Gregory Polanco playing Thursday and Friday in St. Louis ahead of Austin Meadows? Does anybody want to defend the Pirates in general after losing 12 of 16? Because the time has come to take off the kid gloves and say that the odor in the air is not fertilizer, it's excrement. 105.90X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Doing really well. Everything I hear from him is just some of the most insightful stuff. And did you take off your pants? The X at 105.9. I got a few more stats on Twitter, backing up Rodriguez and Gregory Polanco. And that's what I hate about all the so-called advanced stats in baseball, because they enable anybody to find a stat to support your argument. If you just keep going down all those numbers, like I said, for Rodriguez, bad number, bad number, bad number, bad number, bad number. Oh, wait, here's a number that supports my premise, which is Rodriguez is good, which he's not. But X amount of people out there just like Rodriguez. He's popular. The water cooler thing, the Serpico thing. So you'll just drill down till you find one single solitary number that supports him being on the team, that supports him playing, that supports the premise that he's useful. I, I, I don't know what it would be, how deep you have to drill down, like maybe his 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 OBP against right-handed pitchers during day games on artificial turf, on the road, in innings four through six. Stuff like that. And it's just meaningless to me. When I hear batting average is is something that hasn't mattered since 1945, like Dejon said last night on Channel 11, Dejon very rarely sounds just, frankly, stupid, but he did there. And by the way, if batting average doesn't matter, then let's stop celebrating all Clemente's batting titles. Like we do all the time when calling Clemente a much better ball player than he was. Don't know. Don't get me wrong. He's one of the best ever, but he's you know not Barry Bonds. He's not Willie Mays. He's not Hank Aaron. He's not quite at that level. Pert near, but not plumb. But all I hear is, what about the batting titles? And really, the best thing you can say about Clemente is what a clutch player he was, which goes totally against the grain of advanced metrics, which holds that clutch is coincidence. And mostly, I do too. But as somebody who saw Clemente play, there was something about him when big games were on the line. But but I digress. Rodriguez stinks. Polanco stinks. The Pirates are starting to stink. Just one game over 500 now. 
What were they at their high point? I believe they were 27 and 19, 26 and 17. 26 and 17. And I said, I said at, when they started to play well, if they got 10 games over 500, they would stay over 500 the rest of the year. Well, they got nine games over 500. And it all stopped there. 412 333 the number to call. Here's that info. On May 17th, they were 26 and 17, nine games over 500, first place in the division, and now they're 30 and 29. Wow. Wow. And we still don't talk about the big story very much, which, as I keep saying, is the attendance. And that pirate management will do something to make sure that Bob Nutting makes the amount of money that he planned to make. You think I'm kidding? I hope you don't, because I'm not. He'll get rid of Harrison to cut payroll? Who knows who he might get rid of? And I mean that in a very ominous way. Who knows who he might get rid of? But y'all are stupid. You bought all that crap about the Liriano trade. You know, getting rid of prospects they didn't need anymore where it was just a salary dump period. You were dumb enough to be optimistic when they traded Neil Walker for John Neese, like Neese was anything but a bum. And yet again, and this gets me mad, so I keep talking about it. Oh, what happened with the Penguins? Oh, what about the Steelers blowing it? But the Pirates, no, trust the process. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they know what they're doing. They're robbing the town blind. You know what? You, I have never told people to not go. I've never been the leader of a boycott, real or imagined. But if you don't go, you're smart. Because they're taking you for a ride. I mean, I went and sat in the expensive seats because I'm rich and that, you know, that's butt white money to me. But but still, it really has come to a head down there. It really has with the fans. And mark my words, again, that's the big story. The precipitous drop in attendance, which shows no signs of picking up whatsoever. The precipitous drop in attendance and what ultimately the club's reaction will be to it. But in just a few moments, we're going to talk Stanley Cup Finals with Steve Mears, the Penguins play-by-play guy. He's doing some work during the finals for the NHL Network. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, uh, Mark, second time caller. I love the show. I'd like to talk to Mark about Mark Andre Fleury. Pay attention, dumb skull, and talk. The X at 105.9. Joining me now, he's the pride of Murraysville, PA, but calling live from the District of Columbia where he's doing work at the Stanley Cup Final for the NHL Network. It's the Penguins TV play-by-play man, Steve Mears. Uh, Mears, it looks like the Washington Capitals have saved their best for last, haven't they? Yeah, Mark. I mean, this is uh, they're looking good. They are looking good. Uh, going into the series, I think many people, talking with some of the broadcasters and uh, media members, I think most people thought Vegas was going to win this thing. Thought Vegas was the better team, and now after watching Game Three, I'm 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 leaning toward Washington. I really am. Now we're going to learn a lot tonight, but there are a lot of people who are wondering maybe the magic is starting to wear off a little bit with the Vegas Golden Knights, and and I guess we shouldn't be all that surprised that Washington's playing this style of game. 
because I think it reminds me a lot of what we saw in Game 6 in Pittsburgh. The shutdown game where the Penguins couldn't get anything going, a lot of block shots, and then uh, very few shots on goal and scoring chances overall. That was the game plan against Pittsburgh. That was the game plan in Game 7 against Tampa when they won on the road, and they just did it again the other night here, and now they're looking to do it again. And if they win tonight, what a huge, huge advantage that would be. Like you said, we're going to find out quite a bit about Vegas this evening. And what's your take, Mirzi? How will the Golden Knights respond to losing two in a row and being down two games to one? Because this is really their first taste of big, big-time pressure all season. Yeah, that's true. That's true. This is uncharted territory for them here in the playoffs. But they've responded before in certain situations. I, I really would think it's going to be their best game of the season certainly the postseason here tonight. They're going to make a few lineup tweaks. Thomas Tatar is going to come in, and hopefully he can provide a little bit more offense. Four-time 20-goal scorer. I'm actually surprised he wasn't in in the first place. But uh, either way, no matter what type of lineup move you make, as is the case with any of these teams at this time of year, they've got to get more from their best players, and they're just not getting enough from their top line. Two guys on the top line didn't even have a shot on goal in game number three, and one player, Jonathan Marshall, has no goals, one assist so far in the series. So they were doing the heavy lifting all season long. You got William Carlson, a 40 goal score, Riley Smith career year. And then Marcia. So as well, they were such great stories all year long. And now they have been shut down and outplayed by the best players for the Washington Capitals. And you got to give them full marks. Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Nick Backstrom, TJ Oshie's been outstanding. And uh, Braden Holpe taking care of the rest between the pipes. I mean, they look like, a Stanley Cup championship team as of right now through three games. Now it looks like the Vegas coach, uh, Gerard Gallant, is going to juggle his lineup a bit tonight. Uh, Tatar will definitely be in. Perron may be out. There may be a couple other changes. Does that surprise you, Gallant, doing that in the Stanley Cup Finals? Because most coaches would just dance with who brought him. Yeah, well, they, they have some guys that they've brought in before. They, you know, They have Tatar who has been in, he had been a healthy scratch. The last time he was a healthy scratch, and he came back in the lineup, he scored in the game against Winnipeg. He just jumped right in, got a goal. Like I said before, I'm surprised he hasn't been in. because he, They gave up three draft picks to get him from Detroit. He had 29 goals a few years ago. He's a four-time 20-goal scorer. And for a team that's not loaded with offensive talent, sure, they've been a great story, but it's not a team that has superstars. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised he hadn't been playing more often, so... Yeah, it's probably overdue to get him in and maybe somebody out like a David Perron. And he alluded to maybe even another lineup tweak, so we might have to wait and see on that. Uh, but there's a problem, though, if the best line for the Golden Knights is their fourth line, and that's been the case in the series. The Ryan Reeves, Noshek, Belmar line has been their best line, and it's just, that's not a good formula for success. Uh, did that hope be save in Game 2 to preserve the lead late, turn the series around, can a series turn on a single moment, Mirzi? I think it can, definitely. I mean, we've seen it in Penguin history. I mean, I hear, you know, it's funny. I keep hearing about it. they're calling it the save, the save, and every time I hear that, I think of uh, Frank Peter Angelo and Peter Stastny in 1991, Penguin Devils. But that's kind of the lore, and that maybe been the mo- that was the moment where I was like, you know, that's the stuff where you start having these storybook moments along the way, and you start thinking maybe this is just their year. And uh, to win a game seven on the road, for example, in Tampa to finally beat the Penguins, which was well documented. And we know how much uh, success the Penguins have had 
against Washington, but the Caps were able to get over that huge hurdle. Uh, so it's, they are, they're starting to have these storybook moments along the way, and that would be one of them, that incredible save. Uh, there were a lot of opportunities for Vegas to take that game, not just that out tough chance, but they had a five-on-three in game number two and didn't capitalize. So when, when Washington steals a game like that in Vegas, they even the series, a game they had to have, and they get that type of a save, awfully impressive. I, I think Marc-Andre Fleury is going to have to have that type of a moment. If Vegas is going to win this series, it may require that type of Herculean effort, and maybe it's tonight. Maybe he just has to steal one. I think at some point along the way, he's going to have to steal a game for the Golden Knights to win the Cup. When that vein, Mirzi, how would you rate both goaltenders in this series so far, Flurry and Holtby? Holtby's been phenomenal. Uh, the first game, I think, for both teams, kind of an aberration because it was so chaotic, and there was just so much energy. There's a layoff on both sides, and then they get into this thing, and this the unbelievable atmosphere in Vegas. It was just crazy. Uh, and then just back and forth. You have the nerves as well. And it was a crazy game. A lot of things going on in game number one. Holtby stole game number two. Very solid in game number three. And I think Marc-Andre Fleury's been fine. I, there was a lot of talk about maybe he's been a little too aggressive in coming out of the crease, a little too much motion, uh, especially after game number two. He, he got beaten on the one play with Lars Eller, four on four. They went east-west. It was a wide-open net for Eller. People were wondering, why did Fleury come out and challenge the shooter so much? Maybe a little too aggressive. But part of it, I think, is just there's so much scrutiny at this time of year. It's crazy how everything is under the microscope. Every national media member is here. They're tired of writing the same stories. And there's two days in between games, so everything has to be nitpicked and and discussed. I think Fleury's been just fine. There haven't been any soft goals given up. It's just the, the fact that there hasn't been a whole lot of offensive help for him. And the Washington Capitals are finishing on some really good opportunities. I can't really blame Flurry that much. We're talking to Steve Mears, the Penguins play-by-play guy. He's in D.C. for the Stanley Cup Final, where he's working for the NHL Network. Uh, is tonight must-win for Vegas? It, it kind of feels that way. I don't see them rallying from three games to one down. Do you? No, I, I would think if Washington is able to win this one, that may just do it is the magic starting to wear off with Vegas? It's been such a good ride, and uh, it's been fun every, with everything that's gone on and the, the atmosphere, the, this incredible story, one of the best sports stories we've seen in a long time. But you start to wonder about these big moments and if they're kind of falling short here. Maybe they're just running out of gas. Uh, with, but with the Washington Capitals, maybe the hunger is just greater. This is a team that's had failure after failure after failure, They've already proven that they weren't going to be satisfied just beating the Penguins in the second round. They get it done in the third round against a really good Tampa team, and uh, maybe it just is the year for the Washington Capitals. But we're going to find out here tonight. I wouldn't count out the Golden Knights by any means. They've been a really good road team all season long. And, of course, Marc-Andre Fleury, with the success he's had in his career here in D.C. against Washington and in these big moments when the Penguins called upon him or the Golden Knights here this season – I'm not going to rule out the Golden Knights. may come down to a bounce. Maybe it's just that one big moment. We talked about Brayton Holtby's save. Maybe it's Marc-Andre Fleury here tonight. He makes that type of a save at a pivotal moment, and that's what swings it in Vegas' favor. If they win tonight, then maybe they've got the upper hand here because they'll have home ice advantage in what would be a best of three. If Vegas loses in these finals, Mirzi, does it kind of ruin the story, or, or am I being too demanding? 
Uh, does it ruin the st- I don't think it ruins it. I mean, this is it's going to be one of the great stories of all time. It's an expansion team going to the Stanley Cup final. It will probably never be duplicated, even if the expansion rules are exactly the same for the next time the NHL expands, which it sounds like they will be. They still would never be able to capture this many things going in their direction at once to have this type of a run. Uh, I think it's a phenomenal story. It would be a shame for them if they did fall short, but I think the window is still pretty open. We were kind of debating about this. Is, is this the best chance they'll have maybe ever to win the Stanley Cup, or at least for a long time? And I don't think that's the case. I think they're set up really well to be good for a long time. They Remember, they stockpiled draft picks. They kind of held back in the expansion draft. I thought they could have gotten more veteran players. They instead stockpiled draft picks with an eye on the future, and they're still this good, which is impressive to me. And a lot of their core players are young. Their goalie is early 30s, and uh, some other players that they've got. Alex Tuck is 22 years of age. Theodore, one of the top defensemen, 22. So I think they're set up pretty well. As for Washington, their window, as we know, is closing, closing fast. This probably is the best chance that they will have to win the Cup, and they're two wins away from doing it. Washington's star power has kind of taken over, hasn't it? Uh, I look at the way Ovi and Kuznetsov have played, and it makes me remember that that, uh, Vegas doesn't have a guy really like Either of them, and especially Ovi. I mean, that's with all due respect to some pretty good stats put up by guys like Carlson and Marcheseau, but I think Ovechkin's a totally different breed. Yeah, he's one of the great scorers of all time and, and the greatest pure goal scorer of his generation. There's that narrative of like he's some kind of a choke artist at the big moments in the playoffs. Look at his numbers. I mean, that's just, that's just not true. The guy is 60 playoff goals. He's got 115 playoff points. And just in the last few years, the circumstances haven't been equal to his greatness. The supporting cast hasn't been there. We know hockey can't have one player doing it all. So uh, for me, with a few exceptions now, there are some games, especially against Pittsburgh, where even their own coach was saying our best players didn't show up in pivotal moments. But for the most part, when you look at the entire body of work, he's been an outstanding playoff performer. We know what he's done in the regular season. And uh, what a performance so far. He's got goals in three of the last four games. He set the tone early in game seven, opened the scoring. Huge goal, kicking off the scoring in game number three. So uh, he is clearly taking this team on his shoulders, and it's not like he's altered his game in any way. He's still in his office in the left circle. He's still this physical force just out there smashing everything that moves. Ten shot attempts in game three. He's playing like uh, the top player that he has been. For a long time now, and uh, he's getting the supporting help from Backstrom, Oshie, Kuznetsov. They get a fourth-line goal from Devontae Smith-Pelly. So what more do you want? They're, their defensive work has been good with Orpik and Niskanen and John Carlson. I like what I'm seeing from Washington, but as we know in this game, maybe in a few hours that all changes, and all of a sudden the momentum is just snatched by Vegas. You mentioned some names earlier, Mirzi, but if you could pick one or two names that really have to pick it up, for Vegas, guys who have the potential to turn this series back in the Golden Knights' favor, who would those be? Got to start with Jonathan Marshall, so just not enough. He's shooting the puck a lot. He had nine shots in game two, and he might have 20 shots in, in the three games so far or somewhere close around it, but no goals, and no goals and one assist. you got to have more from one of your top players, a guy who could score 30 and has scored 30 in this league. So that would be one. And then the second one, uh, like I said, I think it comes down to we know who their best player is. 
and that's Mark Andre Fleury. And uh, he has been solid, in my opinion. I don't put the losses on him, but you might need him to steal one. It might have to be tonight to match what Braden Holpe is doing, and I think he's fully capable of that. And uh, for me, it all starts. If they win this thing, he's going to be the Smythe Trophy winner. You look at their team; he's their MVP. All due respect to Carlson and Neil and all the other players that they have there, but they they need some help with uh, offensive. A couple players chipping in that haven't done so already. Neil being one of them, one goal, and Marcia. So I talked about, and uh, it all starts though with Mark Andre Fleury. He's their MVP. If they're going to win the cup, he's going to have to be the Smythe winner. Who wins tonight, Mirzi, and who wins the series? Uh, I am going to say tonight it's Vegas. And do I have to give the score, too? No, no, no. Just give me a... a no, a, just the winner. And who okay. wins the series? I'm going to go Vegas wins tonight to even it up. And I think ultimately Washington pulls it out. I'm going to say Washington wins it. And uh, might be might even be in six. I don't know. But uh, that's where it stands right now. As I told you, these things, everybody's opinions are changing, just flip-flopping. It's been a close series. I think we've been tied or had a one-goal game in all but 25 minutes. So it's been going back and forth uh, with our opinions and uh, all this talk that's going on here. But uh, I think Washington, through three games, they've impressed me more, so I'm going to say they win it all. Uh, you know, watching Washington succeed in these finals – makes me well aware that the Penguins weren't that far off and indeed won't be that far off moving forward. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. There's no shame in losing. Say they do win the Cup. I mean, there's no shame in losing to the team that ultimately raises it. And the Penguins came really close. You go back to that Game 5. Dumoulin has a chance going one way, and then a catch. Is porn stars practice? Nope, they never have sex unless it's on video. The X at 105.9. Joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob, brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, the Pirates have now lost 12 out of their last 16. They are a mere one game over 500. Are they in a state of collapse, or do you feel like they'll bounce back? I don't see a bounce back, Mark. Uh, um, some of the storylines you've been talking about today and even last week, you know, the habitual playing of Sean Rodriguez when he doesn't earn that, he doesn't deserve that at all. Um, the just total collapse of the bullpen in some instances, uh, the power from the beginning of the season that they started off strong with going away, um, tougher schedule right now. Like I said, you used the term, uh, you know, water finding its level, very appropriate right now for your buckos. They're going to have a long road ahead of them. Let's get back to Rodriguez. He struck out over a third of the time. He's batting 167. His slash line is just terrific. How can he possibly start? A third of the games. Uh, Mark, it's, I didn't even really, I did not want to even think about anything like it's just because, you know, Hurdle likes him and because he doesn't want to get a letter from, you know, a player's parents or something like that. But it might just be that simple. There's no other reason. With that slash line, with the errors, with the availability of other players on that bench, there's no reason for him to be uh, to be on the field in case, uh, unless it's an emergency situation, definitely not when you're resting some players and you've got another day off the next day. I, I, I don't understand why they're using him so much right now. Um, boy, play your best players. Meadows is player of the month, you know, rookie of the month, and he's not playing as much as he should be. Pirates got to do something about that. Well, he's playing a lot, but he should be playing every day. Yeah. To start Polanco Thursday and Friday at St. Louis, when even when I drilled down to see if I could find what I call an excuse stat, a stat that, you know, 
bears lame witness to playing Polanco being a good idea. There just wasn't one except for him hitting 270 at St. Louis, which isn't exactly, well, Stan Musial did better at St. Louis, put it put it that way. So just some crazy things being done by the Pirates. And it really has led me to forego what had previously been a positive opinion of Clint Hurdle as a manager. I just don't get where he's pulling some of the stuff he's doing out of. You know, over the last number of seasons, he's had some great moments and he's some had some scratch-your-head moments. I think we're in a scratch-your-head moment right now, um, especially with, you know, with Sean Rodriguez. And look, it, it can't be... It can't be because the fans want him out there because the fans are staying away for certain reasons. One of them has to be the product on the field. Well, yeah, but vocally, the fans who do talk about Rodriguez are mostly supportive. They really are. Trust me. I know on Twitter. No, I totally understand that. And I've seen some of that also, but I think that that has to be a vocal minority or that's got to be a very active, you know, social media presence for a small group. Um, anybody who's just likes the game for the game or likes following the pirates and hoping that they're having every opportunity to win they can't be behind that decision, at least. And if they were when he came back last year, you know, they're not now because there's just no reason for it. Do you think Polanco's a bust, or do you think he's going to come good at a later date? Uh, keep in mind, it's not just him doing badly this season. As I mentioned, he is hitting two ten uh, over the last five months, dating back to last season. I don't know if he, I'm not ready to call him a bust yet, Mark, but boy, he's not showing anything as to the promise that a lot of fans and, you know, other people in the baseball world thought. And, you know, we were talking last week about why he was still getting a spot also, and Clint Hurdle puts him in there, and he goes three for four. You know, maybe he plays a hunch, and he wins that one. But that has to happen a lot more. Two for four has to happen a lot more. Two for five you know, on given nights has to happen a lot more for him. Uh, he's got to come up with the power. He's got to get on base more. He's got to show that he's partially the player that everybody thought he was going to be when he made it up to the bigs. He hasn't done that yet, and there's more questions now than there is, I think, hope. Uh, attendance is terrible. That's the story that not enough people are talking about. It's down 15K, half, from back in 2015 when the team – Won 98 games. And, and and there's a direct correlation there, Bob, to people reacting to dismantling that 20 and 15 team when the window was still open. But uh, you know nothing's going to react to the loss of revenue. What do you think that reaction will be, and when do you expect it to avail itself? Boy, I agree with you. I think that Harrison would be the first move. Uh, that's rather unfortunate, but there's nothing in this ownership's past that shows that they would work this, they will play this out any other way. I mean, you have the promise. If they start winning, fans come to the you know ballpark, they're going to put money back into the team. That didn't happen. In so many circumstances, you have seen the fans get penalized or the team get penalized with loss of talent. And some of them have worked out to get some prospects in there or some, you know, some decent players in there. But they haven't done anything at all to reward fans lately. And I don't see that happening. And if, you know, fans stay away and the money goes down, I agree with you. Bob Nutting is going to make his money. The organization is going to make their money. They don't care how. They have a number. They're going to get that number. And if that has to, you know, if other players have to go away or they have to, you know, dip into the talent pool and get rid of some of that talent, that is going to happen. That is Bob McLaughlin. I'm Mark Madden. Bob brought you 84 Lumber. In 30 seconds, 
Well, we have repeat business on the list, and honestly, I, I wonder, not having kept close track, how many times this guy has been on the list, but I think he should be on the list, and I bet you agree that he should make the list. 105.9 The X.